Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? Or in the case of today, we're interviewing who? I'm your host, Dana, or the DHKs I've known. And I am so excited because, first off, this is our 300th episode, which is absolutely wild to think about. Thank you to everyone who has been listening, either from the very beginning or if this is your very first episode, thank you for joining. Also delighted because for the 300th episode, we have a very special guest. It is writer, director, and sometimes actor, Zach Braff. You might know him from things like Scrubs or his directorial debut, Garden State. He has a new feature out called A Good Person, which he wrote and directed. It stars Florence Pugh, Morgan Freeman, Molly Shannon, Zoe Lister-Jones, and it centers around Florence Pugh's character. She goes through this unimaginable tragedy that, you know, and then has to deal with the fallout from it, how it impacts other people, um, you know, addiction, all of these things. We don't have any major spoilers in the conversation. We do talk about something that is featured in the trailers. It's a pretty, you know, integral part of the story. But if you're a purist and would prefer to see the film first and then come back to it, totally understand. Either way, without further ado, here's we're interviewing who? I'm going to start with what was the most logistically challenging scene? Well, Florence Pugh cutting her hair live on camera was tricky because I didn't write this into the script and Florence had this idea. She, she said, in my own experience, when I've really been going through stuff, I was always... Um, you know, trying to do, you know, watching like beauty tutorials and ordering weird stuff online and cutting my hair and doing my nails. And like, she was like, that was my own personal sort of space I would go into when I was really struggling. And she goes, so I, when, I, when we find Allison, I, I'd love for her to be chopping her hair off. And I said, that's a great idea, but logistically that's kind of impossible. You know, we shoot this movie completely out of order and we only have 26 days. That's kind of a scheduling nightmare. And she said, you'll figure it out. And then I, I circled with the team and I was like, guys, we want to do this. I, I, I can't use wigs because wigs look so fake, especially on a zero budget movie. They look really fake. And, and, they, and they were like, yeah, you're right. It's impossible. I told her and she said, you guys will figure it out. So then, uh, you know, we did. We did because we finally said, you know what? This is important to her and it's also kind of brilliant. Now let's do it. And so we, we, we found an outside the box way to, to make it work. And she literally, when she's cutting her hair in the movie, she's literally cutting her hair off. Again, as someone who cuts their own hair, I would not want to do that in front of an audience at a crew. So <laughs> it was a bold move. Yeah, but yours looks cool. Hers was meant to look fucked up. You know? I, I had I stressed out for the character in the moment. I was, or I had a moment of like, oh my God, is this what I look like to people? Anyway. But, <laughs> well, it's funny so, that she's doing it with the help of a very chipper influencer. You know? So chipper. And Well, so mine is like a two mirror system. And I was like, the fact that she's just going with one mirror is a bold, she's not well. <laughs> it, it, it spoke to it. But similarly... Let's go with emotionally. What was the most challenging scene? Oh, I think um, both Florence and Morgan's characters have um, AA shares where they really uh, are really vulnerable. And, and I think those were the most challenging scenes in the whole film because it's, it's a bit daunting. You know, you can write a tough scene like that, a monologue like those, and, and, and on paper think, oh, that's going to be really good. That actor's incredible wow imagine what they're going to do with that but you just don't know like on the day is is the are the is the recipe of the day right for them to deliver you know is are they in the right mood are they in the right headspace is the vibe right uh, to deliver an incredible performance it's daunting as an actor i can tell you it's very daunting when you have a scene like that so i was um i think i was most nervous for those scenes and of course i think uh, florence's and Morgan's monologues are, are, are two of the most breathtaking moments in the whole movie. Well, speaking of writing, I do want to ask, what was the biggest change from sort of the first iteration of it percolating in your mind to the version we see on screen? 
That's a very good question. Um, the biggest change, uh, probably, you know, things Florence brought to it, you know, because I really developed it for Florence. Also, I didn't have an African-American man in, in mind necessarily. It could have been any race, obviously, but and I never thought I, I knew Morgan from directing him in another movie, but I, I never thought he would say yes because he doesn't typically do movies this size. But when he said yes, that was something that uh, it was a, it was a wonderful blessing because not only did we get my favorite actor, it also made you know stories about two families. It made half the whole half the cast African American, so that was uh, something that that uh, that I really was happy happened. Florence's contributions, in, including the original songs. You know, I didn't write those songs. Florence wrote those songs in character as herself, which is something that's really unique. And yeah, and then and then I think just the magic of working with a really talented editor. You know, you shooting an indie. I always think of like it, it is like a, a a scavenger hunt. You 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 race out for twenty six days and just get as much as you can as fast as you can, and then you bring it all back to your editor, and you're like, what do we get? <laughs> you don't really know until you get in the edit room what you've caught, what you've captured. And and so, so many beautiful things came out of that, collaborating with my editor, Dan Shark. I, I wouldn't say that's a, we'll fix it in post scenario, but that's a, we're banking on post scenario. It sounds like. That's what everything The power like. of post. <laughs> everything, without, everything without a giant budget behind it. You know, you know I, I directed an episode of Shrinking, uh, this new Apple show, and it's like, you know, if you don't get it, you know, Apple's not going to not get it. You're going to go get it a different day. With this, it's like there was no world where, we, where there was no more days. There was no more time. You don't get it. You don't get it. Oh, that's another thing I can answer your question with. I had I had scripted that we see the accident way more graphically than we do. And it was a, it really was a blessing in disguise that we didn't have the money to do it. We saved it for the end in, in a world where we ended up having extra money to, to, to execute it. And... Um, we didn't, you know, we, we, so much money went to COVID. This was shot in the middle of, of COVID. So, you know, you spend so much money that doesn't go on the screen for all the protocols and, and the safety measures. By the time we got to being able to, to shoot the accident, I, I really wasn't able to do it in any way that would have been more powerful than the audience's imagination. So um, we ended up going with other than the little bits you see, not shooting the accident just because I didn't have the budget to 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 do it in a way that would have been worthy and and of of trying to beat the audience's imagination, if you know what I mean. We're gonna take a quick break and be right back. And we're back. It's it's a bit of the sort of Spielberg Jaws effect, though, where you know by not seeing it, it becomes scarier than yeah, because you know the audience's imagination is going to it has an infinite. It'll do budget. the work for you, yeah. <laughs> The audience's imagination has an infinite budget, to put it that way. This is true. Yes, yes. A, an enviable budget on that scale. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, there's a line about, you know, feeling like you can't escape where you're from. And mm. yet, you know, some of your projects keep going back to some of the places where you're from, you know, more focused on, or in this case, just happens to be set there. Is, is exploring this through film your way of sort of coming to acceptance of where you're from? Or is it like grappling with trying to escape? I'm just super curious. I love where I'm from. But... You know, like any small town, um, there's going to be some people that leave and some people that stay. And neither one is correct, obviously. I just want, I, I'm, I'm always interested in exploring that, those, those differences. And also, you know, Florence's character, Allison, we learn, particularly in that scene in the dive bar with Alex Wolf, we, we see, you know, a different side to her that she sort of looked down on 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 the locals and the townies that that stayed, and she had this sort of 
condescension for them. And, and they end up calling her out saying, you're, you're, you're more, he, I think Alex Wolf says, you're, you're more like who you think we are than we actually are. And um, so I like that. It's a bit of a, I guess it's a bit of a class uh, system conversation a bit because she, she thought she was destined to, to, to live in Manhattan and, and, and be wealthy and, and, uh, and all of, all of her goals are, are dashed. And, 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 and now she's still, now that she's even on a lower level than these guys in the bar, she's still feeling that she's better than them. She even says that because she's got four shots of tequila on her. She, she even says it to them. So I don't know. I just wanted to explore that, but I, I love my hometown. And I thought that I, I always feel, I shouldn't say always the two times they've made a film there. I, I felt like it was a safety net in a way, because it's like, I'm, I'm not going to get it wrong. I, I know, I know, I know what the dive bar in, in, in Jersey looks like. I know what the church looks like. I know what the beaten up house looks like. I know what an adult riding a BMX bike down the street looks like. I, 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 I feel like I can make something authentic in that space. That makes sense. Going back to the her sort of confrontation in the bar, and then there's a line at the end that I don't want to give away, but there uh, or a, a conversation at the end about like really just cold hard truths that people are confronted yeah. with or convey. And I don't know. Are you willing to share? Like, is there a truth that you've ever been confronted with that you were just like, oh damn, you are right. Like that is how I I've been denying it to myself. Like I do look down upon these people, or I've been seeing myself this way. Like again, you don't you don't have to share, but I was. <laughs> I'll confide uh, some deep, dark secret, but I no, will no, no. say, but even, you know, it could be any level of truth. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you something better than, than me telling you something personal is a phrase that, that, that I learned in a self-help workshop that has stayed with me my whole life. Uh, Cause I, I, I probably heard it 20 something years ago or more. And it was uh, the phrase is, what are you pretending not to know? And my, I, I recommend that to you and, uh, your listeners, uh, your audience, because it's something it can be totally private that you can meditate on or journal on, but it really helps you be like, if you were going to be 1000% unabashedly honest with yourself, what are, what's a truth that you know, but you don't even admit to yourself. And I think that's really helpful. It has been really helpful to me and helped me get clarity on things and see blind spots and rectify places where I've fucked up and been the one responsible by going, what am I pretending not to know? And then, and then, and then sitting with it and, and meditating on it. And I think powerful things have come out of it. Yeah. I, I would say this film is certainly an exploration of what am I pretending not to know in a very tangible way. So yes, that is a very powerful thought. To, I'm going to have to, step away with that for a while and think about it. Yeah. Well, speaking of therapy and shrinking and things like that, I do, you know, you have been directing quite a few like TV and streaming projects since your last feature. Is there yeah. anything in particular you picked up from working on that sort of different, you know, timing, format, et cetera, that you brought to this film? Um, so speed, definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, you know, Scrubs, you know, was, was grad school for how do you, how do you direct something and make it good, but get it fast? You know, every episode of Scrubs was shot in five days and that's just, with a big crew and a big cast, that's, that is a sprinting pace. And um, that was a really great training for uh, making independent movies and also for continuing to direct uh, now streaming shows because you have a little more time with Ted Lasso and Shrinking as examples, but you, you're still 
there's the onus is still on you to get it good and get it fast. And um, if you don't make your days, um, you're, you're not going to be working very long. So that's the challenge is like, how do I get it good and put my own imprint on it? And so, so it isn't, it isn't just another episode of TV. It, it has a unique take on, on, on the script, but also how do I get it in, in like six, 12 hour days? That speed is important, especially when you're on a shoot as quick as yours. This is a broader question, but growing up, who was your favorite fictional character? Probably John Ritter um, on Jack Tripper on Three's Company. <laughs> uh, do you want to go into it more or just that the fact that he's uh, that particular character is, is no, that's some would call enviable, time. but. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably before your time, but there was a, when I was growing up, there was a, a popular sitcom and, and reruns called Three's Company. And. And um, it was sort of my introduction into physical comedy and, 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 and I don't know, I just thought uh, John Ritter in that show, it was, you know, it was, it was an 80s sitcom, but he was so funny and he was such an amazing physical comedian. I mean, I, I, I obviously I could name uh, tons of people, but the first thing name that popped in my head was John Ritter. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to, I wanted to be funny and, and a physical comedian in, in a way that he is than he was. And he actually played my father on Scrubs uh, um, and, and, um, and was meant to do it again, but he passed away. But he, he was definitely an inspiration to me when I was a little boy. I was, I was like, I don't know what is so hysterical about this, a man falling over a couch, but I want to learn how to do that. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> Similarly, do you remember the first film you saw in theaters that you were like the impetus for going to see, you know, not necessarily one that somebody else dragged you along to, but you maybe saw a poster or a trailer or whatever. And you're like, oh my God, I have to go see whatever this is. I think it was For Your Eyes Only, um, which which is a James Bond movie with Roger Moore. And I think it was like the first movie that, I was probably really young to see it, but my parents allowed me to go. And I just remember it being really transformational. I, I think it was probably the first grown up movie I'd seen in a movie theater. And I just remember thinking like, whoa, you know, James Bond to a little boy. And, and, and I, I remember it being like, I remember having my mind blown. I, I find the older I get, the more I appreciate Roger Moore's era as James Bond. Yeah, well, I grew up in the Roger Moore era, so that's fair. Uh, that's fair. But you know, we've had a lot of Bond since. Yeah, brother, I, have you know, older, I have an older brother who 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 clued me into the Sean Connery era, but I, but but Roger Moore was my era. I will also secretly argue Timothy Dalton really has grown on me in the last few years for the, the just like the campy ridiculousness I, of I Bond. Admit, I'm not sure I've ever seen a Dalton Bond movie. Oh. Well, you are missing out because they are the most, they're like every parody of Bond comes from the Dalton era. Yeah, see, like. Bond like, went through this oh. phase where, Bond went through this weird phase where it started to spoof itself. It's like that, it's like the Austin Powers thing. It was like, it was like uh, almost, almost slipped into make, not almost, it started spoofing itself. And, uh, and then of course they, they rescued it with Daniel Craig. I, I would say Brosnan as well. Still, okay. but anyway, uh, well, okay. Again, I love asking questions about childhood, but um, do you have any hobbies aside from dealing with trains that you wish you could get back to or still participate in? Mine. I, I'd like to, um, I, I got my pilot's license years ago and, um, and um, used to fly uh, in a single engine um, four seater and um, really loved it. Much like model trains, it's very meditative. You have to focus so uh, acutely 
and it, it kind of takes your mind off anything and everything else because you have to be so hyper-focused. And I've stopped, I've lapsed. I'd have to go take classes and get current, which I, which I aspire to do. Um, but that's something I, I miss. That seems like a slightly higher stakes hobby than model trains, <laughs> but well, only, only slightly. What else could I tell you? Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's the one that's most, most at the forefront of my mind. Okay. Who are some of the unexpected positive guides in your life? Guides or guys? Guides. They can be guys, but. <laughs> um, the unexpected positive guides in my life. I don't know if I have unexpected ones. I can't think of any. Do you have expected ones? Well, yeah, my, 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 my mom has been, is, okay. is, is a, my, I, I'm so lucky that I have a mom who's also a psychologist. So she's been just an incredible mother to me and, and, um, and, and, and guide and friend. Uh, we have a great relationship. Um, Bill Lawrence, you know, who's, who I've had this, you know, 23 year uh, uh, working relationship with has been an incredible mentor and, and big brother to me. Those are the two that come to mind first. Bill's going to love that I said my mom and him. <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite a ranking. You know, it's, it's a pretty pretty high praise, I would assume. But, um, and I hope that Bill Lawrence hears this someday. So I think my last question is, how do you define personal success now? And how has that definition changed from when you were younger? Oh, that's a great question. I think now it's like, am I, am I proud of the thing? And, 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 it, and whether or not it's universally adored or not, uh, am I proud of what's been created? And as opposed to being young and, and wanting to be loved by everybody and wanting to be, uh, and wanting my work to be loved by everyone. I think I've really grown to say like, I just want there to be an audience for, for what I do. Cause then, then you feel like, you know, there are people that are responding to what one is making. So I think that, yeah, I, when I was young, I was so, I was so hyper-focused on uh, being everyone to, being everything to all people. And I think now I'm so focused on like, gosh, there's so many things I love that, that aren't universally loved. In fact, the most important things to me aren't universally loved. I, I love musicals uh, on Broadway, for example. I know so many people that abhor musicals. Well, they're wrong. And, and <laughs> so. No, so I'm saying like, I, I really kind of got clear on like, a lot of the very things that are my, my, my favorite types of art aren't necessarily, music and, and film and TV aren't necessarily for everyone. And so I think I, I, I got clear on, um, on, on, on making, just, just trying to be authentically and authentic and just being myself, um, and saying what I have to say. That is a healthy definition or paradigm shift of, you know, from, but yeah, thank you so much. I, but anyway, thank you so much. And thanks for your thank time. You. Congrats on the film. Uh Thank you so much. A huge thank you to Zach Braff. A good person is out in theaters now. And again, thank you to everyone who has supported us through our 300 episodes and hopefully for our next 300. It is an increasingly wild ride. If you like this episode or any of our episodes, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review. Consider telling your friends and consider subscribing.